Hello and welcome to this Small Voice podcast. I'm Holly. And I'm Darren. In this month's podcast, we'll be talking about the horrific situation in Israel and Gaza and how to respond to events there. There's uh, there's no easy way to transition um, after we've introduced that that's what we're going to be talking about. But um, before we get on to that, let's do our regular health check. How have you been, Darren? I mean, I think recent events put things into context, don't they? Um, you know, I'm not going to go off on one about having put my back out a few a few days ago. Uh, still in a wee bit of pain around that, but you know, um, in the scale of things, it w- would be nice though, Holly, to mention an event that we were both at uh, on Saturday, uh, which was a celebration of 75 years. Of GRF Christian Radio. Now, faithful listeners may know that GRF Christian Radio is basically the the entity from which we get Small Voice. You know, the Small Voice team are part of GRF, uh, and it's been on the go since 1948. It's changed a lot in that time, but about 40 of us managed to get together at the weekend. I even came to Glasgow, um, and it was just amazing to see people and to hear some old programmes. Uh, some very old programmes, actually, and see some some old photographs and uh, and tell stories. Yeah, it was lovely to see you not on a screen, um, and it really <laughs> uh, it was a it was a lovely event and uh, fabulous to bring together folks from the early days of radio with folks like us who are podcasting and um, everything in between. Um, I uh, have had a, a spectacularly busy month of October, and. Uh, I got to last weekend and actually that um, our 75th anniversary celebrations on Saturday were probably exactly what I needed to round off my my month. Um, and then um, I spent Sunday morning leading worship at um, my church, which we'll probably get on to talking a wee bit about later. But I am uh, delighted that this week has been a much needed week off, which uh, uh, is a... a Shall we call it a reset week? I'm not going away anywhere, but um, I've been to the charity shop a lot. I've been to the dump a lot. My my house is cleaner. My head is clearer. So um, hopefully that uh, that will continue into the month of November. How did your cat cope with having you around more? Is 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 she pretty relaxed about that? Or I, to be honest, sometimes I'm not sure that she enjoys it, um, <laughs> and and I think she. She definitely thinks that if I'm here, that means that she deserves extra meals that she's not strictly entitled to. But uh, uh, you know what cats are like. She's uh, very set in her ways. And I'm, I think I've uh, I've interrupted whatever it is that she normally gets up to whenever <laughs> I'm not here. Mm. Um, thanks as ever for getting in touch with your thoughts following our recent podcasts. Yeah, regular listener Geraldine got in touch via our website after our chat in the last podcast about the book For Thy Great Pain, Have Mercy on My Little Pain by Victoria Mackenzie, which tells the story of 14th century mystics Julian of Norwich and Marjorie Kemp. Geraldine said, Oh, my speckled soul, which is a quote from the book, which I liked as well. She says, Thanks for bringing this to me. It sounds right up my spiritual street. I will ask Santa for the book. And she said that the discussion brought back many happy memories of her cousin, a Cistercian monk in Ireland. Yes, Geraldine went on to explain that her cousin died in 2020, um, well into his 90s. But she said, he continues to comfort and inspire me. 
I remember him telling me about the struggles he had with God. A young man in Derry returning from teacher training in London and working as a teacher. God called him to an enclosed order in a monastery in the Knockmildown Mountains in a part of Ireland he did not know or initially care for. Um, He tried to leave several times but could not and grew to love it so much. Astonishing. Thank you, Geraldine. And why not send us your thoughts and comments, faithful listener, on our website at smallvoice.org.uk, on Facebook, email us at the.team at grf.org.uk, or you can subscribe to get email updates from us via a substack with the handle at smallvoice, all one word, or by visiting smallvoice.substack.com. You'll notice we are no longer uh, mentioning Twitter, as we as we covered last month. Um, we do hope to do more posts on Facebook and definitely on Substack. Holly, I think you and I said, you know, we'll be doing something weekly. It's it's kind of not happened, but um, we do have subscribers. Thank you, faithful subscribers. And we promise that we will send more your way. Yeah, I was going to make some excuse about the technology not being quite in my favour, but I'm not sure whether that's going to fly. Um, certainly not for very long, but uh, thanks for bearing with us, faithful listener. Um, As we mentioned at the start of the podcast, we're going to talk about the current situation in Israel and in Gaza. We're recording this on the evening of the 2nd of November, just under four weeks since the Hamas attacks in Israel and Israel's response to those attacks. One thing that's really struck me over the past few weeks is the number of conversations that I'm stumbling through about this conflict and perhaps more so um, nobody ever asks me about uh, conflicts in Nigeria or or my views on the Rohingya or but this is something that feels like it is a topic of conversation and I, I just after the um, the recent escalation in um, in conflict Uh, I had a a friend say to me that she was also stumbling through conversations with her young daughter about it, who's 10 years old. Um, I, we talked about that event that we were both at on Saturday. I had somebody at that event ask me where I was getting my news from. I turned up to church. The person on the door was, was asking me about um, my response and, and what the, the, where, again, where I was getting my news from, how was I navigating social media? Um, And I thought, this is these are really rich questions and uh, I'm interested to hear whether you're getting similar questions and how you're navigating that you know it's honestly just occurred to me Holly that um, you know in the work that I do which is in education I, I was up in uh, Aberdeen uh, last week um, so the meetings that I have had I've had some online meetings but I've had um you know, a, a, a group of us um, got together to to discuss the night before the meeting, and then went for some food. And and you know what? In in educational circles, I have had the sum total of zero conversations about this. And I don't know if that just reflects a certain lack of um, looking outwards on our part and and engaging with the world, or or if it's just born of um, kind of politely not not talking about it. I mean, you know, I, I haven't seen. I've got good friends. I'm sure. If we, you know, when I see them, seeing 
talk next week. Um, I am absolutely confident we'll be talking about it. But it's it, yeah, it, it just maybe feels like a a polite thing. Or or how how do you talk about it when you know what what on earth is the solution? I mean, I was conscious, you know. So there's so many podcasts out there, um, and there's there's some great coverage of this from people who have been in Israel and Palestine. We still are. Um, and and it feels hard to to add to the conversation other than to to say that it's maybe important that we do. Although I think you talked about a friend saying that maybe that you know how how some people feel that they they have a duty to engage with this, and other people saying I, I simply can't. Yeah. So I'd, someone at church on Sunday told me that they were really struggling to watch the news or to engage with any online news about what was happening in, in Israel and what was happening in Gaza because they f- felt like they were opening them up them, themselves up to suddenly seeing some quite traumatic images, particularly images of, of injured or dying children, that they felt that they they couldn't see those images, that that was something that was too distressing for them. Um, I then completely separately at the end of church had a conversation with someone else who said that they felt that they had a duty to not turn their face away from from those images and that they um, they felt that they should be, it was almost a discipline to be um, up to date with the news and to expose it, to expose herself to what mm-hmm. was going on. And I have tremendous sympathy for both of those views. It's difficult to know where to start. I, I guess it, it's going to be cheeky. Where where are you getting your your news? Well, I, I mentioned podcasts, and obviously, I go to main, what I would call as mainstream, mainstream, you know, le- lefty outlets like the Guardian and 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 the BBC. I mean, I note that I think the BBC. I think I saw a story last week that the BBC had received equal amounts of a. Uh, complaints, you know, roughly 50% saying, how dare you be so nakedly pro-Israel? And the other 50% saying, how dare you be so nakedly pro, pro-Palestine or, yeah. or not call it Hamas? And, you know, part of me thinks, well, you know, maybe they're they're sort of getting it right. By the way, I, I mean, there's even a certain nervousness for me here. And I think, you know, people, mind you, I guess we're not on Twitter anymore, are we? We can't, we can't be flamed. Are we flame-proof, Ollie? I don't know. Uh, you're so um, left-wing that that article about the BBC was in The Guardian. I realised that as I was yeah, saying it. it was I didn't a, want to piss off. No, no, it was in The Guardian on the 16th of October. And um, yeah, sort of 50-50 com- complaints from both sides. I mean, I don't claim to be at all perfect in my response to this. And no, I, I don't think that we're immune from being flamed for it. But I do think that we are duty-bound to seek some kind of nuance and yes. balance in the media that we consume. Um, I would say if you never think, oh, that's a wee bit too close to the bone, oh, that's a wee bit too pro-Israeli, oh, that's a wee bit too pro-Palestinian, whenever you're reading mm-hmm. the news, then you're probably just reading things that agree with your own viewpoint. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's un. How can how dare I see it? Unfortunate timing. That's 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 a nonsense. But heavens, but the it throws into the mix or throws into sharp relief just how awful Twitter now is. I think oh, a lot terrible. a lot of people are saying, you know, 
you would in in the, for breaking news you would go to twitter you would look for the blue tick and you would think okay that that's past the first round of credibility it doesn't mean to say that it's accurate but now you know you, you pay to get a blue tick anyway anyone can have a blue tick and and, and in, it's so hard yeah yeah i mean i've been on twitter since um reasonably the like early days of twitter so that means as a as an adult mm-hmm. um i haven't had to navigate very many major events without having twitter as it was to kind of go to as one of the ways i was getting my breaking news and it has caused me to reevaluate a little bit in terms of um you know if i don't have that where am i going and there's so much misinformation on social media um, that I have found myself just pulling back completely. I've, I've not tweeted since September um, mm-hmm. and I've not even retweeted anything since the beginning but- of October. So I'm going back to established news sources. And I think, I don't know what you think, but one thing to me that's interesting about the BBC is because the BBC faces so much scrutiny, you can read something on the in the BBC and then a few hours later you can read the critique of the way that the BBC was reporting things. And in some ways I find it helpful to see to see both. Yes. Um I I don't know, I, I take um uh I take some uh some comfort in trying to find things that have I guess passed some kind of test of verification. I've noticed more of the BBC Verify stuff since this yes. started. Have you noticed that? Yes, I have. And I keep, I've, I've seen occasionally on Twitter, which I'm deliberately not calling X in the hope that Elon Musk hears this one day and gets annoyed. <laughs> um, I notice on Twitter there's a little bit of sort of user-generated critique and content, but mainly that seems to be telling me that this advert for a bike, a bike kit that everyone will want for Christmas is actually part of what's called drop shipping but that but that's another another thing entirely but yeah the, the fact that people you know i guess you, you get the emotional response to it and you think that's awful and holly it's it, it, you know i i would be more nervous right now about retweeting than would be about tweeting because you you see something you think that is awful and you retweet it and then you discover that that actually that 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 was from uh that that's from a uh, something 20 years ago or that's from a hollywood film um, yeah, I mean, I, I heard someone saying on a podcast this week, you know, you 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 see an image and you think that's awful. And then you hear, oh, no, that's not from this war. That's from a different war. <laughs> and you're like, oh, I don't know whether I meant to feel better about that. Um, BBC Verify, for those who haven't come across it, is um, a, a form of what the BBC are calling forensic journalism set up earlier in the year and actually seems really helpful for such a time as this. Um, it comprises of sixty journalists who have a uh, journalists who have a specialised operation in terms of uh, fact checking, verifying videos, countering disinformation, um, and I found that to be something helpful and also just helpful to see how much disinformation there is out there. You could easily just read something and and believe it without mm-hmm. thinking about it. Um, I also try not to just read the BBC. I um, I, I feel like I I'm probably have a similar bias to you, like in terms of being a, a lefty. So I'm, you know, I read The Guardian, I read The Independent. Um, I also read Al Jazeera English most days, which um, is a 
you know, funded mm. by the uh, government of Qatar. So obviously not uh, not the perfect source of uh, no. media, but maintains editorial independence and probably is better at amplifying some Arab voices. Um, so you know, not not easy. Yeah, but I think uh, it, it's. It, I mean, trying. Yeah, I mean, we've said before. You know, social media is, is not the place to find nuance, sadly, and that's that's really what we need just now. Not to bang on about the Guardian, but I am struck by the fact that you know the Guardian will have columnists, I guess, who who disagree with each other, and I can find that 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 quite helpful. It is um, it's odd how the conflict. Um, the ongoing conflict, and certainly this this current one, um, it it seems to be more of a. I don't want to say a banana skin. How can you how can you call a conflict a banana skin? But you know, f- for the left, the left seem to be under more forensic examination for their response to this. I I think that's really interesting. I think a lot of us, a lot of. Uh, a lot of people can feel forced to take a particular position or to choose a side. Um, there's a video uh, that we'll put a link to in the show notes from the New York Times um, that's called Pick a Side, Pick a Side, Pick a Side Now. And it's well worth a, a watch. I mean, it's it's short and it's silly, but it is a it does serve as a critique of celebrities and corporations suddenly becoming Middle East experts Um and reflecting a wee bit on why this is the one conflict currently happening in the world that you're meant to have an opinion about. Um, I agree. I, the one thing they touch on in the video is, um, uh, you know, you need to, you know, you need to find a way of um, expressing that you don't agree with what the Israeli government are doing, but don't be anti-Semitic. You need to find a way of condemning Hamas, but uh, don't be anti-Muslim. And I, and. I just don't think social media is the place for those conversations. I I don't think it's ever done well. I think um, it's such a polarising medium that I, I can understand why people... Yeah, I, banana skin is probably the best way of saying it, actually. You know, but people do trip themselves up because I think most people who end up saying that I hope I hope that most people who end up saying things on social media that dehumanize uh, mm-hmm. Palestinians or dehumanize uh, Israelis and Jews that those people don't actually believe the things that they're saying they've just kind of talked themselves into it because that's the media landscape that we're in but maybe that's naive yeah I mean at the heart of this conflict, I am not about to sum up this conflict. Um, but you know, the challenge the world faces is to find a way for Israelis and Palestinians to live safely together. You know, in in some form of of harmony. Um, and and there has to be a a recognition of humanity on both sides. I'm going to move slightly sideways here and say maybe that you know maybe there are parallels. I mean, I listened to, and goodness knows they don't need the they don't need the advert, but you know the rest is politics. The podcast with Alistair Campbell and and uh, uh, Rory Stewart, um, and Rory Stewart, who was a Conservative minister, he says, you know, 
the, the interesting thing about left versus right, which is in no way the same thing as, you know, Israeli versus Palestine. But he says the interesting thing is that the, the right believes that the left is wrong. They just don't get the world. But the left believes that the right is evil. And, you know, there, there's a little challenge in my heart to, to you know, to somehow cope uh, and understand how you can be a right winger. I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to say that that means I'm going to try and understand Donald Trump. Um, but does that does that analogy even? I'm not sure if it helps at all. But one thing you know, I, I'm, I, 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 I'm in danger of dehumanising the right. Put it that way. Oh, I, I was about, I was about to sort of. Um, I, I've had a similar reflection. Um, I, I've mentioned that I was leading worship at church on Sunday, and one thing that I was reflecting on was. Um, how there's ways of de we we've talked quite a lot about dehumanizing language on this podcast before um about immigration so we've talked about swarms of people or describing yes. people as vermin or a cancer and that's one form of dehumanizing language but another form of dehumanizing language is to speak about people in militaristic terms or to describe people as 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 evil or um, I can't believe that a human being could believe such a thing. Um, and when I say militaristic terms, I, you know, I can reducing uh, all Jews or reducing Israel or Israelis to the actions of the Israeli government and, ID and the yeah. IDF is militarizing an entire group of people in the same way that um, reducing the um, Palestinian people to the actions of Hamas is militarizing a, an entire group of people. And like you say, that kind of the right is evil i can't believe that a human being would believe such terrible things is also dehumanizing language and and something that i struggle with i think about the ways i've described our current government you know the, the words i have used to describe our current foreign secretary for example um and they're not not all respectful of her humanity um, no I don't, I don't think the the um, small voice whatsapps are going to be released for public consumption <laughs> thankfully yeah i mean i think we all know social media is where nuance goes to die um mm -hmm. and i think sometimes i look at social media posts and i think what well, what do you think you're achieving by posting mm -hmm. that yeah maybe maybe a good question to ask ourselves is you know why am i posting this on social media is this post the best way to achieve the aim that I have? And I, I think, to be honest, that's what stopped me posting um, uh -huh. on social media. Like, is plowing my energy into thinking about how to phrase the perfect tweet about this conflict helpful? No. Is putting my energy into trying to craft an act of worship for last Sunday helpful? Maybe, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, so yeah, yeah. I mean, that probably brings us to the you know, what can we do about it? You know, assuming that I mean, I'm I'm conscious we've not talked about the rights and wrongs of the conflict. You know, um, we could talk about. I say the initial act. I mean, there's then arguments about how far back do you go, but you know, the attack by Hamas uh, and. I'm, I'm sure we'd want to condemn that if anyone's looking for the small voice press release. Um, and we'd also... See, I'm, I'm not trying to find the right words. You know, we'd also be very uncomfortable and have grave concerns about 
the way in which the Israeli government are are inflicting deaths on people in Gaza. Yes, they have a stated aim, um, and maybe you want to talk about, you know, the the legality of what they're doing, um, but you know that that doesn't sit well with us. Um, but assuming that we've we've had that dinner party conversation, um, what 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 next? You know, because people do sit and 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 feel helpless about it. I think uh, to add to the. <laughs> GRF, sorry, to add to the small voice statement on uh, on this, uh, you know, human beings are human beings. And a human being is a human being regardless of whether they are Israeli or Palestinian. And more challengingly, a human being is a human being regardless of whether or not they're a civilian um, in war. Mm. Yeah. Uh, and the lines are incredibly blurry and uh, it's impossible it is impossible and I think one of the things that we perhaps have to grapple with as we sit and in our nice safe houses in um, Scotland is what do you do whenever you can't do anything um, regardless of what we think of ourselves neither you nor I are going to affect peace in the Middle East um, believe it or not <laughs> No. Um, and I, to me, I, I think there are some parallels with some other things. I, um, I am not going to stop climate change either. Um, and it's never going to end. It's going to be something that I'm grappling with for the rest of my life. I, I hope that that is not the case for conflict in the middle east but several lifetimes have passed for many mm. people have, have died waiting for peace i i have some i guess i've been thinking about some ways to 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 rationalize that and to think about that one is um a, a way that i often think about climate change is i think about like what what i'm doing is a drop in the ocean but what i'm doing is also a, a sacrament in some way mm -hmm. it is a a sign of you know if i take out my recycling that is a a concrete act that i can do that helps tie me to something that's a little bit more nebulous and should be backed up with you know lobbying the government signing petitions all yeah. of that kind of thing and so i think some is some of what i'm thinking about is trying to work out what the middle east peace version mm. of that is yeah and then i worry that sometimes that that's just about me trying to make myself feel better you know i i like the idea i know R rishi sunak in this his new campaign of him we're going to get rid of your seven bins for recycling and holly you're basically claiming that taking out the recycling is a sacramental act but you know i, I don't it would be a more that. sacramental act if the council would come and pick it up every once in a while but um <laughs> Ooh, bit of politics there, bit of politics. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Can I ask, by the way, I mean, I think it would be good to talk about, you You mentioned, you know, um, preparing worship, and I, I, I will find that fascinating. But at the risk of, of diverting us way down the street, can I ask, do you get asked about um, Israel-Palestine more, or do you think people expect you to have more to say about it because you're Northern Irish? It's, it's interesting. I, I think no, that in general, no. 
Okay. Um, and I think it's a, in some ways it can be, uh, you know, as, as we've already discussed, drawing any parallel is kind of clumsy. Um, mm-hmm. But I would say in growing up in Northern Ireland, uh, I was involved with um, a an organization called Summer Madness and Street Reach and a little bit um, towards the end of my uh, my time living there, I was involved a little with the Corrymeela community, which is a peace and reconciliation community. And that means that I've, from quite a young age, heard um, Israeli and uh, Palestinian people speak from stages or, or um, uh, share about peace and reconciliation. And I think I was probably about 18 the first time I met somebody who'd uh, done their, their um, national service with the IDF. Um, mm. I still remember speaking to her. Her name was Sarah and she was an Israeli Christian. And it meant, I think, just people travel to Northern Ireland to do activities related to peace and reconciliation. So it means that you you do kind of see a little bit, you get a bit of a peek behind the curtain sometimes um, in terms of um, what not the Israeli or Palestinian representatives, but sort of just normal everyday people on the ground are, are, are thinking. Mm-hmm. Um I I certainly think about um, Israel and Gaza. I think differently as a Northern Irish person, um, uh, but I, I guess that's that's complicated. Uh, I we talked a wee bit about the fact that I led worship on Sunday. I'm not an expert worship leader by any means. I don't do it very often, and I'm aware that we'll have ministers and priests who listen to this podcast. So I don't want to claim to be something that I'm not but um when I was uh, a preparing to lead worship on Sunday um one thing that I always do and I think is probably more important um at times like this is uh I try not to unless I've got a really specific reason to I try not to stray from the lectionary readings because I think you could quite easily go and pick and choose a bit of bible to back up what you the point you wanted people to take from the service and pretend mm-hmm. that that was God's point all along so I um I took the the lectionary readings and because I'd known I was going to be leading worship and again because I don't do it very often I'd known for a few months and I'd looked up what the lectionary readings were and the gospel for last Sunday was um love your neighbor as yourself and I t- started to think about um you know, what I would do about that and then uh, on the 7th of October everything changed and it, I, I I think along with a lot of other people preparing worship for last Sunday thought well I can't really talk about anything else mm-hmm. um, other than the the conflict um, so that's where I started um, I also the only way I know how to lead worship is from my own experience. I'm not a theologian, didn't study hermeneutics. I'm a doctor. So, <laughs> Sorry, that's Star Trek, isn't it? Damn it, Jim, I'm a doctor, not a theologian. <laughs> exactly. I'm but a mere doctor. And I, it, interestingly, in my church, uh, I, I may be a doctor, but some of the people I'm speaking to are theologians. Yes, so, yes, I know. So, um, so I often think I'm better off just not trying. So I um, 
I talked about what I thought it meant to love your neighbour as yourself. And um, my personal context is as a Northern Irish person. So I talked about doing cross-community work in Northern Ireland in the early 2000s. I talked about peace lines. I talked about the fact that there are more peace lines in Northern Ireland um, than there were at the time of the Good Friday Agreement, I think. There definitely are more than there were at the height of the Troubles. There's 160 in um, Belfast alone. I talked about um, uh, loving your neighbour, meaning that you needed to want what's best for your neighbour's kids. Loving your neighbour meant looking them in the eye and appreciating their humanity and that loving your neighbour meant, uh, as we've already discussed, um, sometimes having to admit that you're the one that needs to change, that you're wrong and that your neighbour is right and allowing your relationship with your neighbour to change you. And in some ways, I guess, I know I'm not going to affect peace in the Middle East, but I can affect peace in my own life. And sometimes in the west of Scotland, that can mean not laughing at or calling out a sectarian joke. Sometimes that can mean, um, you know, standing up against racism or sexism. You know, there are ways of affecting peace in your day to day life that are not just um, tokenistic, that actually do make a difference. So I guess that was how I came at preparing worship for Mm -hmm. Sunday. I have to confess, I have not written a prayer since all of this started. I've led prayers a few times and I have reached for prayers that were written by other people. Mm -hmm. Which I guess um, is another question, isn't it? How do we, that's how I led worship, but how do we pray? Which we've we've talked about earlier, you know, Mm. earlier this year, you know, um, what what is prayer? I seem to recall that um, Nick Cave might have had a good definition of it, but it's it's gone from my mind. Yeah, I think I have never. I've said on this podcast before. I've never been a great one for saying my prayers. Um, I'm. I like a lot of silence in my own prayer life. Mm-hmm. Um, and. A lot of the prayers that I have used, it's because I use them in acts of worship and they are something that I prepare rather than use extemporaneous prayer. Um, I'm definitely one for lighting a candle and symbolic acts. And I think there is something prayerful in not trying to understand or to get to the bottom of something because I don't think that this is something to get to the bottom of. Not for us, anyway. Yeah, yeah I mean, g- good luck. You know, there is the there's the kind of performance prayer, isn't there? Let's be honest. And you know, I've I've I have heard some spectacular performance prayers, and they've been they've been quite lovely in some ways. But there is that, um, particularly in church services, that. Um, <laughs> sorry, I mean. But, but, the school that I was at, you know, when when the chaplain was allowed to come in and and do a prayer, he basically did a sermon, which was a prayer. You know, it was um, it was it was telling God a number of things, which I thought God was probably aware of already. Um, <laughs> but you know, it was it was the, it was it was the kind of performance prayer, whereas the yeah maybe silence is is better. I. I often, and again, this makes me sound really up myself, so I'm not going to um, 
I'll try not to self-edit but um, I try to think about creating spaces for prayer rather than leading prayer or to create spaces for worship rather than leading worship because uh, in some ways you you can't you you just have to kind of work with uh, um, you know you have to create a context in which it's possible to pray or to create a context in which it's possible to worship and that's certainly what I'm aiming for whenever I'm leading and I've seen some incredible um, examples of it Um, we're going to finish with a prayer um, having talked about how how difficult it is to pray we're going to finish with a prayer from the wild goose resource group which was originally published in 2007 in, in a liturgy booklet called fencing in god's people um it was shared again by the iona community this week and when it was shared i have to say i thought that it was written this week because of how um pertinent i find it to um what's happening currently in the middle east and it is a prayer for me that has created a space in which I felt like I could pray this week. So hopefully it will do the same for you. Absolutely. It's called Where Heaven is Present, a prayer for Israel-Palestine. Eternal God, in your love for this world, you have made places of great beauty And always, where heaven is present, hell is never far off. This is our experience. It is the lot of your people. We recognise it in the world. Here we come to hold before you that land on which your son put his feet and first walked the path to heaven across the terrain of the earth. Help us, for we seek to enter into solidarity with our brothers and sisters in the Holy Land. We ask for integrity and humility. Help us not to keep apart Palestinian and Jew in our prayers, but under your guidance to find a way of holding together their fractured history. And enable us in our lives and through our prayers to seek the road to reconciliation and recovery. Until we glimpse in our hearts and establish on earth the justice and peace between neighbours which you have destined for the world you love. Amen. Amen.